let me tell y'all something. I could sit and listen to the music and listen to the singers and listen to the praise and not even worry about a word this morning. But the Lord did say to us, this is Father's Day. Some of us have had some bad times. And so 
God was good to us even in the good times. And so you heard the scriptures read this morning. So we want to talk to you from the topic of fathers. It's your actions that really count. Fathers. It's your actions that really count. But we won't endeavor to be long, but I will tell you that as Pastor I and I began to put this sermon together, we we have a word count on here, and our word count kept growing and growing and growing and growing. So much so that I, I was thinking maybe we'll hold everybody in church for about two hours <laughs> as we preach. Are you telling the truth, Brother Allen? No. I know you're not. <laughs> We will be done, trust me. We know where to cut it. So we, we will be done. <laughs> if necessary. Put the music on. Right. <laughs> you out. There you go. Well, fathers, we do salute you this morning. We salute every father, grandfather, adopted father, and stepfather, what have you, as I have mentioned, even friend father. Because there are some of those. And the mother who acted Amen. like father. We salute you this morning. Some have, have done work for people outside of their family. Raised them as if they were their own. Done things for them as if they were own. But So we salute everybody in this case. This morning we have a story of a man showing fatherly love and friendly love. Not because he was the father, but because of the brotherly love that he had for his BFF. Y'all know what the BFF is, best friend forever. And the remembrance of the fatherly love was shown to him by a father figure who later, believe it or not, became his enemy. I had four fathers in my life, probably more than that, but I'm only going to tell you about my biological father, Reverend Luther Brown Sr., was an excellent provider, an excellent protector, an excellent preacher, and he loved God, and he loved my mama. He was my number one teacher. My second father was my grandfather, my mother's father, on on my mother's side because my father's father had passed away before I was born. His name was Roy Abraham Armin. They put the Abraham in there because they must have known that he was going to be a faithful man. Amen. He would go and have prayer meeting at the, at the church regardless of whether anybody came or not. Nowadays we can't get people to be that dedicated. But he'd go unlock the door if nobody came, yeah. he'd pray, and he'd sing his song, yeah. and then he'd walk back home. He was a good, flat-out, pure man of God. And he praised God, and he trusted God, and he loved God. My third father is still with us. He, he is not doing so well right now, so you don't see him here today, but his name is George Sylvester Queen. A man of integrity and a man of love. And for the last 40 years, he has treated me as if I were 
his biological child while I built a life with his oldest daughter. She couldn't help herself. She just had
that means that they were and are to be men who make a positive impact in the lives of our families, our neighbors, and our friends, and certainly in our homes Amen. and in the church. So today we find the text that David was also one of these. But if you were to look at his overall life, David had some mixed reviews. Yeah. Y'all know what mixed reviews are. <laughs> Did some things right. Did some things wrong. Yet, because he had a good heart, because God looks upon the heart, David was able to overcome his negatives and have a heart like God. Sister Kemper, many fathers today are like they. Yeah. But let me tell you a few things that are making some mixed reviews right now. Mm. I'll give you the good news and the bad news. But let me let me start with some bad news, kind of sort of first. According to the US government, there are two extremes when it comes to fathers. There are the solo dads, ones who appear to raise their children by themselves, and the absent dads, who appear to have little or nothing to do with parents. And the government says that these are polar opposites, because less than 6%, which is about 2 million men, of all minor children, which are the children under age 18 and more, are solo dads, while 20.2%, about 7 million men, are absent dads to all of their minor children, and they do not live with any of their minor children. Solo dads live with their children without a spouse or partner present. And about a quarter of both types of dads had children with more than one woman, compared to 16% of all fathers of minor children. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just presenting statistical facts that suggest that both men are more likely than average dads with minor children to have had kids with multiple women, not to be married to any of them, and to rely on their own parents for support. Y'all see that on TV every day when Namar is showing any of those other ones on. Father is sitting there, but he's not supporting his family the way he should. Fathers, the, the news gets worse in the church setting. LifeWay Research Group said that Father's Day is the holiday with the lowest single average, with the single lowest average church attendance. It's statistically lower than Labor Day, and lower than Memorial Day, and lower than even the 4th of July. Comparing it to Mother's Day, Mother's Day is one of the most highly attended days of the year. Now, LifeWay suggests that various factors are involved here, 
saying that either churches are less effective in affirming fathers or families believe Christian fathers don't value their participation in worship services. According to the data from the Promise Keepers and the Baptist Press, if a father doesn't go to church, but his wife does, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. And if a father does go regularly, regardless of whether the mother goes or not, on average, two-thirds of their children will attend church with some regularity. Despite the negative stats, though, there is some good news. Let me tell you, when fathers are present and when they are accounted for, the children will be impacted positively. And so will the church. There's a number of studies out now talking about why people don't go to church. Here's one of the reasons why they don't go. When people are not being impacted positively, by the fathers. Studies show that when parents attend church, more than 55% will attend church regularly later in life. More good news, and I'm going to hurry up and take my seat. Children living with good fathers in the home fare better in cognitive achievement. That means they tend to attain higher levels of education. Their psychological well-being is better. That means the translation here is their head seems to be screwed on straight. <laughs> and they have better behavioral outcomes. They tend to have less behavior problems. As a result, they are less likely to abuse substances. You all know what kinds of substances out there. They're less likely to report experiencing depression, and they tend to have more stable marriages in the future. Among urban fathers, those who frequent religious services tend to be more engaged with their children. So fathers, we admonish you to continually live a godly life before your family. Provide for them, yes. love them, yes. and be there yes. for them. Provide for them even when it is financially hard for you. Because these folk that like to lay around and let the wife or the girlfriend or whoever go do all the work and make all the money, and they don't want to support those children that they help to make, there is a problem with it. So provide for them. You know why? Because men, fathers, it's your actions. It's your actions that really count. That's our subject today. That is, fathers, it's your actions that really count. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Pastor Keith, for breaking it down for us this morning so we really have a good understanding as to what is 
what really, really matters. First of all, because I have not taken the mic, let me just say my happy Father's Day to all of you who are in the house and those of you who are sharing with us on uh, social media. But as we move forward in our sermon this morning, let me just say and reiterate what Pastor Keith has said over and over again, that it is your actions that really really count. I know that you all have heard before and are familiar with that old adage that says actions speak louder than words. Amen, somebody. And I just want you all to understand how that phrase really does fit the story that we heard this morning. You see, David's actions came forth in the form of that four-letter word called love. I know we throw that term around in, 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 in our culture, but that word really should mean something more than we give it credit for. We ought to understand that love really is an action word. That means that we do stuff, amen, when we say we we love somebody or something. In our text, we want to bring out this morning that there were three types of love. We call that fatherly love in the context of this text that was poured out onto a man named Mephibosheth and his family and his servant's family. The first one we're going to bring up is a covenant love. The second one we'll talk about is a committed love. And the third one we want to talk about is a compassionate love. Is anybody still with me so far? Well, let us look up uh, these types of fatherly love that show up in the text. The first one, as I mentioned, is a covenant love. Some of us are familiar from various standpoints of what a covenant is. Uh, basically, uh, uh, in its simplest form, a covenant is an agreement usually between two or more persons as to something that you will do or something that you will won't do. Something that's usually specified in that agreement. Uh, you know, we're going to do this, we won't do that. Uh, uh -huh. You all understand what covenants are, and, and, and most of us got our first understanding of covenant uh, from the Bible itself, because as you read the Old Testament, uh, we become familiar with the word covenant. Uh, that idea of a covenant. Why? Because uh, we know old Noah had a covenant with God. Amen. Somebody. God told Noah that he would never destroy the earth. Amen. By water or the flood ever again. Oh, God made a covenant with Abraham. You know Abraham, the father of many. He made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Moses at Mount Sinai when he called those Israelites his chosen people. Hallelujah. And then there was covenant between God and Phineas when he promised him that priestly dynasty and when he promised David a royal dynasty. In other words, God made these promises in the Bible that would come to pass no matter what. Don't you, don't you like that kind of a covenant when God says, I will unconditionally do this, this, and this. Oh God, that makes us feel good when God says, 
and it will come to pass. And so as the story goes, David, David, you all know the King David, David had been hunted like an animal by King Saul. King Saul became the arch enemy of David. But the remarkable thing in the story, and you all need to get this, we all need to get this, mothers, fathers, and children, is that even though he was hunted like an animal by Saul, he remained with a heart like God towards his enemy and his enemy's family. Oh, come on, somebody. Not everybody's able to do that on your own. This was a even though his friend for whom he had that brotherly love and that Saul, Jonathan's father, were both now dead, he still kept that covenant in his heart and David was determined that he was going to hold up his end of the covenant. Uh huh. That's right. That's right. Say, mothers and fathers and everyone who is in here under the sound of our voices, we want you to see the parallel of the story. You so it shows the type of love that God has for us. Oh yes, yes, yes. You see, God gives us that kind of love that is undeserved, that is unearned, and is not or unrepeatable. Understood what a threat looked like. 
how did he understand that? Because uh, Jonathan's daddy, Saul, uh, threatened him all the time. Uh, you all remember the story. David spent much time uh, in those caves uh, running from Saul uh, because he feared his life uh, when, when Saul was the king. Yet, 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 uh, what we see in this writing here is in the text is that David asked the question, come on somebody, uh, is there anyone remaining in Saul's family so I can show kindness to them because of Jonathan? Uh, you see, David, David was committed to show love even if Jonathan wasn't there to witness it himself. Uh, uh -huh, uh -huh. We, we, we want you to see uh, how David uh, did something that we call uh, in, in, in our vernacular, David flipped the script uh, on the culture and instead of making sure all of Saul's descendants were dead, he sought to see who was alive so he could show them kindness. Uh -huh, to all of the fathers in the house this morning, and those of you who are sharing online, I just want to ask just one simple question. When was the last time you attempted to flip the script in the culture and look for ways to show kindness to your children? Just, just asking, just, just asking the question out there. We, we want people to think about it. Uh, you see, from where I see it, uh, I don't know what you see. I don't know what you hear. I don't know how you process information. Uh, but from what I can see, uh, we could use a little more kindness uh, in this world. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I believe, I believe, Pastor Keith, I'm, I'm on to something this morning. Uh, uh, we do need that committed love that will show kindness. Uh, you see, the thing about kindness uh, is that we show it uh, most often when somebody can't give it back uh, in return. Amen, amen, amen. So, 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 so here we are, here we are. We, we, we are, we're, we're looking at uh, the story, looking at the text, and, and, and trying to figure out how these things uh, have come about through the hand and through the eyes of David. And my, my last point, and I'm going to sit down out of your way, is, is that third point that, that talks about that compassionate love. Uh, you, you, you see, that David has already shown us about that covenant love. He's shown us how to be committed uh, with, with the love. Uh, 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 but next time what we see is how he shows up with Compassion. If you ever, if you have ever wondered where compassion actually uh, uh, comes from, uh, uh, know that it is an embodied response that innately arises when loving awareness of our own suffering meets the suffering yes, yes, yes. of somebody. Yes, yes. Yeah, maybe I should uh, tell, tell them that again, that, that, that compassion arises yes. Come on. when we see the suffering of someone else yes. and we can help. Oh. We, we feel something yeah. that causes us yes. to want to help. Uh -huh. and, and I'm going to tell you this that compassion 
really does begin from our hearts. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, it does, it does, it does. We, we, we're going to talk about the whole concept of compassion in our upcoming Bible study, but, but, but this here begins to kind of have that conversation just a, a little bit about compassion coming from the heart, but can I also tell you that compassion does not just stay in the heart. Uh, remember I said we were talking about fathers today and reminding them that it is your actions uh, that really count uh, because when compassion shows up, uh, comp compassion flows uh, into loving action. Uh, yes, it does. Uh, I told you love, right, was an action word. Uh, it's actually a verb. Uh, that means we do something uh, to show what that love looks like. Uh, because here in the text, uh, David exhibits compassion uh, on Jonathan's son, uh, Mephibosheth. Uh, and can I tell you all, is a nickname for real uh, that means uh, mouth of shame. Uh, now, we're not sure if the shame comes from his physical condition or not, uh, uh, but it sure sounds like it might fit uh, because the Bible only tells us uh, that he is a young man who has both feet that are crippled. Uh -huh, you know, it doesn't say that he was tall, dark, and handsome. It doesn't say he had a voice that could sing you to sleep. It doesn't tell us all the good uh, 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 characteristics of Mephibosheth. It tells us that he had two crippled feet. Can I tell you, we don't know if that meant he walked with a limp. I don't know, maybe he was on crutches. I, I'm not sure what the extent of his crippled feet and what it meant. But what I can tell you all is that the boy was afflicted. I can tell you that the man wasn't perfect. I can tell you he wore the cream of the crop. And David showed compassion by giving him all of Saul's land so that his family could eat. And, that, and then he promised that the man with the crippled feet would be able to sit at the king's table on a regular basis and eat some of the best food in the land. Well, can I break that down for you fathers? in case you missed it. You see, to the fathers in the house today, let this be a reminder for anybody in here who has ever had any imperfect children. Has anybody ever had children that were imperfect? Have any of you all ever had children that messed up a time or two? Do you know any children who don't always get right? Who have made some bad choices? Those who feed him. Oh, somebody 
let your love show up this morning as a compassionate love. Because when we put all of those together, your children will come to understand the love like your mother has. Jesus' name, that we pray and all the people just said amen. Amen. 